0: and welcome to the NLCC Sermon Recap Podcast. With me today, I have Ben. Hey, guys. And we're going to dive into the second message in our More Than Words series. Uh, Ben, what is the word that we're focusing on today?
1: Uh, This this sermon is going to be focused primarily on the word commitment, though we'll also have a great emphasis on the word pursuit
0: as well. So with the idea of commitment pursuit, is this something that you personally have struggled with in the past?
1: Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people... I I think that this is kind of the hinge point in a lot of people's faith and a lot of people's relationships and just kind of how that plays out. It's, um, commitment and pursuit is the, the level in which you have a relationship with a spouse or the health of the relationship with your kids or, or, uh, you know, your coworkers or anything else like that, you know? And so when it comes to God, it's the same kind of a thing is, um, if your commitment fluctuates or flounders, and then you kind of, struggle with what that looks like, right? And so I think I've had those moments in my life where with my relationship with God there's been times when my commitment hasn't been where it needs to be or times when I've mentally wanted to commit but I haven't actually per- put a pursuit in with it.
0: So if following the message that we're about to hear, someone wants to figure out a little bit more or try to take some next steps into building their commitment or or growing their commitment, what are some resources that we can point people to?
1: I think one of the great things that, that comes with technology is just all the resources that do exist. And um, for for someone who's maybe uh, new in their faith or a new commitment, and they're just looking for more content, um, one of the things that I greatly push people towards is the YouVersion Bible app that has a tons of, it's it's way more than just a Bible. It's It's got all sorts of devotions. It's got all sorts of guided readings for you, context. You can go by by theme or or by a book of the Bible. I mean, they've got tons of just different stuff that's very, very valuable and good, and it's very simple. It's just right on your phone, and, and you can do it. You can do it inside a community as well, uh, connecting with other people through that app and and kind of helping each other you know, spurring each other on to those good works, which is cool. Um, but, of course, we also have our Right Now Media um, subscription that anybody who's a part of our church has access to which has just so much more depth uh, of so many different things as well. And if that's something you're interested in, uh, please reach out to who Preston, who would they reach out to?
0: Uh, you can go to the website, northlibertycc RNM, or just click the link down in the description. We'll put it right there for you.
1: Yep, Fantastic.
0: Right, thank you very much for bringing some extra context into this message. Let's go ahead and listen in on the uh, more than words series on commitment.
1: A little over 20 years ago, I had an opportunity uh, with my youth group to go on a trip out to a a camp out in East Texas. And it was a leadership, it was a a team building, it was uh, all all these kinds of things, personal development and and then community development as well. And one of the things that we had an opportunity to do while we were there was was we had a a chance to do a, a high ropes course. Now if you're not familiar with what that is, it is exactly what it sounds like. It's ropes and different contraptions high up in the air. And you put a harness on and they hook a rope to you and, and, and for security and safety, so that in case you were to fall, you wouldn't die. All right, and so they set up this whole deal and then you, you do these challenges, you do these obstacles uh, up in the air. You've probably seen some stuff like that before, but uh, ultimately the idea is that, that you're trying to overcome uh, whatever fear or concerns you may have. It, it, it's a kind of a growth thing. It's overcoming those obstacles and experiencing a lot of fun in the process as well. I don't remember a lot of the different obstacles. I have some kind of pictures in my mind, but none of them really stuck with me, except for one. One of the challenges, one of the obstacles that you could engage with was a simple telephone pole. I thought it was 50 feet tall, it was probably 20. Uh, Straight up as telephone poles tend to be and and the object was that that you would walk up to this thing You'd approach it and you would climb up the telephone pole all the way to the top And then when you got to the top the goal was then to stand on the top of this telephone pole the little You know top of it and then you had to turn 180 degrees from how you climbed up it And then jump off of it to a trapeze that was about six feet away now For me and my height and my length, the jumping off part was by far the easiest, but everything else was incredibly terrifying to me. I have this strange love-hate relationship with heights. I am tall and I'm used to being up high and and I enjoy seeing things from up above and and, and climbing to tops of things and, and the viewpoints and the beauty and all those kinds of things I absolutely love, but they terrify me. They really kind of make me shake and nervous and it's not an easy thing. It makes me sick to my stomach. And so as I looked at this telephone pole and as I climbed up it the first time, it was a slow process that that by the time I I finally got to the top, I kind of just sat there for a while and stared at the top of this little circle, trying to figure out how I was going to stand on it without anything else to brace or support me to get up on top. And I took my time and I was shaking and it was a real struggle. And I finally eventually got up to the top and then I slowly shifted my body 180 degrees and jumped very quickly because I was so eager to get off this thing to the trapeze. And after I did that, uh, you know, they, they, they use a rope that's attached to me and they lower me down to the ground. And when I got down to the bottom and I looked at this pole, I realized that it really shouldn't have been as intimidating as it was. And the more I looked at this pole, the more, um, The more I wanted to do it again, I wanted to do better than what I'd done before. The first time it took me two, three, maybe four minutes for me to get all the way up to the top of this thing to earn or to build up the courage to actually choose to climb on top and then to jump off. And and I I knew I could do better. I knew it wasn't that bad. And so I asked the guy if I could do it again and there was no one else there in line. And so he said, sure. So I I go back to it and I, I climb up it and I, I don't hesitate at the top anymore, I'm less shaky, I'm more confident, and, and I know what to expect, and I have a little bit of a game plan. I get to the top, and I maneuver myself, and I get stood up, and then I turn to 180 degrees, and I jump off, and I lower to the ground, and it took about a minute. And when I got to the ground, I looked at this thing, and I felt uh, proud of what I had just done, but even as I looked at it, I realized I could probably do better, that that, that really wasn't as quick as I could have gone. And so I asked the guy and he allowed me. And so I, I did it again. And this time I went as quick as I thought I could in my mind. I, I scaled up it quickly. I went up. I didn't shake. I didn't, I didn't worry. I knew that I was safe. And I, I got up and I, I carefully put myself on top of the pole. And then I turned and jumped very quickly. And this time was about 25, 30 seconds for me to accomplish all of these things. And I got to the bottom and I looked at the guy running this little obstacle and I very proudly said, wow, that's probably the quickest you've ever seen that, right? Like I was convinced that I had just done something very special. And he said, no. He said, no, in fact, the record on this obstacle is 15 seconds. And I'm thinking to myself, that's twice as fast as what I just did. I can't even imagine the pace at which you'd have to do this, it was, it, was, it was surprising to me, but as I stood there and looked at it, and I realized that I had no longer had fear for this thing, I, I realized that there was a different level of commitment in my mind to, to working on this and getting better at it and improving, and I wanted to try it one more time. And so I approached it, I got someone with a watch with a second hand where they could count and keep track because I wanted to know exactly how long it'd take. And, I, and they, they all go, and I took off. And I had no regard for life or injury. I was fine. I I did it as quickly as I possibly could. And I got to the top. I hardly even allowed my feet to touch the top of this pole as I, in one motion, got to the top, stood, turned, and jumped. And I got to the bottom and the guy told me, the person keeping time told me that I'd done it in 12 seconds. And it was a huge victory for me. I'm convinced, even now as I say this to you, that I set a record at this camp that still stands. I don't know if that's true or not, and I really don't even know if initially what the guy told me at the time was true. Uh, but I know that what happened in me was a significant transition in mind. That, that between the first time and the last time that I climbed this pole, that there was a lacking of commitment. I mentally was not committed to doing what I was on the fourth time that I climbed that pole. Today we're going to be talking about the word commitment and what that looks like over time. Now. Now on the back end of commitment we can see that growth, we can see value, we can see accomplishments rarely happen on accident. It takes intentional commitment and it starts with a mental decision but it leads us to action. And it sounds a lot like what we talked about last week with the word faith. Last week we saw that the word faith just simply means a trust that one has in another and we realize that it is a cognitive, it is a mental decision that is made but that it doesn't stay there. That's a starting point, but that it calls us to action. It moves us towards that action. And we're going to see the same thing with this word commitment today. It starts with a mental, cognitive decision, but it doesn't just stay there. True commitment, much like faith, moves us towards action. Now, if we're going to define the word commitment, we would define it simply as a being dedicated to a cause. And this goes far beyond and outside the idea of faith and religion. This is a bigger uh, concept is a bigger word than those things. I mean, we, we see this in marriage. On The day that you get married at at, at your wedding, you stand up in front of people and you make commitments to one another. But the reality is, is that you don't really know the fullness of those commitments until much later. In fact, we often will measure commitments 30, 40, 50, 60 years down the line and we look back and we recognize the validity of those promises and those commitments made. We can say the same thing about parenting. Uh, For some of you who are raising small children, your world is overwhelming and difficult and there's strange bodily fluids involved and you're constantly running on a lack of sleep and there's this part of you that wonders if it's worth it, if it's ever going to end. The commitment you've made a little overwhelming early on, and yet talk to someone whose kids are 20 or 30 or 40 or even 50 years old, and you'll hear the value of that commitment, the value of the investment that they made very early on in those relationships with their kids. We can say the same thing about your career. You're very rarely successful on your first day at the job, but you'll recognize all the success on the day you retire. We say the same thing to our youth about grades in school, or athletic endeavors. Uh, Commitment is a mental decision. It's a cognitive decision that's made, but we don't really see the uh, results of it. We don't see the accomplishments of it until much, much later. What about our commitment to God? Psalm 37, verse 5 says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, uh, shows us a group of people who did just that. We're told this. Uh, we're told that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This word devoted is, is a synonym of committed. It, it really means the same thing, but it, it communicates a deep commitment. It communicates a, a, a cognitive, mental decision that's very serious and very invested and what it is that's been decided, and we see it uh, play out in all sorts of different ways. This isn't a casual thing. This isn't, this isn't a convenient thing. This is devotion. Devotion indicates a continuous action. And these people that we're speaking of in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, uh, these aren't people who've known Jesus even for a long time. This comes right on the heels of the first sermon ever preached, not by Jesus. And the first opportunity where, where people come and believe and put their faith in Jesus. This is after he's died and rose from the, the, rose from the grave. This is after he has ascended into heaven. And, and now we have this moment where Peter gets up and he professes this incredible message and the people accept it. And they're, they're changed. They believe. They make a commitment. And we find that they now devote themselves to this movement, to this knowledge, to this belief that they now have. They're committed to it. And they specifically commit themselves to the apostles' teaching. They specifically commit themselves to fellowship because up until this point, they don't even know who Jesus is. They've not had a chance to walk with him. And so they go to the people who do, and they want more. They constantly are looking for more, and they're constantly pressing in. They're devoting themselves to getting more and more of it. This apostle's teaching, this is what we would call like a preaching service. This is the opportunity where where they have to come and sit down at the feet of people who knew Jesus best and learn from them and grow from them. This is before the New Testament is written. They don't have documents to go to at this point. This is just a very real living way to know who Jesus is, and it requires a devotion. It requires them that every opportunity they have to get in the presence of the people who knew Jesus so that they could learn and so that they could grow so they could recognize the ways in which the ways in which they weren't living as Jesus would have asked them to this is not just a commitment to Jesus but it's a commitment it's a devotion to the aspects of what it means to follow Jesus it's a commitment to the teaching of his disciples and it's the same with fellowship oftentimes we use this word fellowship and we treat it like it has to do with a dinner or we treat it like it has to do with a casual gathering of friends. It's, we, we've really kind of downplayed the value of this word fellowship, that as Christians, this word actually holds more value to us. The early Christians here that we're reading about in Acts chapter two, when they talk about fellowship, they're talking about, about a mutual gathering, a, a mutually beneficial environment. This, is, this isn't a community, this is a communal living where they have common interests and mutual participation that there's deep concern for the welfare of one another. In fact, as you read through Acts, you'll find that it says that they shared and had everything in common, that nobody was in need, that that everybody collectively came together missing something, but together they all had everything they all needed. There was an intimacy and a commitment to it, and it requires a level of devotion that they weren't just devoted to the idea of Jesus, but they were devoted to being with one another says that they were devoted to the breaking of bread. It kind of seems like a strange thing, but when they would get together, when they would get together and they would listen to the apostles' teaching and when they would spend some time in caring for each other's needs and meeting whatever existed, that in the midst of all of those very important things, they would stop and they would press pause on those things and they would take a moment to remember bread and wine. And they would recall back to Jesus' last moments in this earth, and they're going to recall back to some of the last words he said before he'd hang on a cross. And this challenge he laid in front of his disciples, that every time they came to a piece of bread and they came to some wine, that they would remember his body and they'd remember his blood that was shed for them. And whenever they came together, they had this deeply intimate moment of remembering. Together. Together. Collectively, they were devoted to this. This wasn't just something that they did casually. It wasn't something they did every once in a while. This was something that was core and central to who they were, and they devoted themselves to prayer, to deep, intimate, communal prayer, going to God with their deepest concerns and deepest hopes. All of these things require commitment, and all of these things are commitments beyond even a commitment to Jesus, but they don't all promise accomplishment. A commitment simply by itself doesn't promise accomplishment because commitment by itself is lacking commitment in order to attain the highest levels of accomplishments. It actually requires pursuit that these early Christians that we read about, they didn't just commit themselves. They didn't devote themselves to to the apostles teaching and to fellowship or breaking of bread and prayer. They didn't just devote themselves to those things and then sit in their home and think about it on their own, but that it had action to it, that it required a pursuit, that they aren't things that are just going to naturally show up in front of you, but that you have to go and get them. And it reminds me, of my time in band in middle school Uh, i started in band in seventh grade i played baritone um, and in seventh grade it's just a lot of weird noises just a lot of strange things that happen in the context of a band but, but by eighth grade we kind of started figuring it out and the band collectively actually started to sound good together and there was less of the weird squeaks and weird noises and it started actually sounding more and more like music and and i actually excelled i had a natural ability a, a certain giftedness and i took off really well and i was i was among the best within my school in fact i was even among the best within my city uh, i had different awards won different competitions and had a lot of school and i loved it until ninth grade when they caused us to march marching band for me was not appealing at all Uh, there was a lot of working for hours outside in the sun in west texas in the month of august for something that wasn't sports And, and there was a lot of yelling and distraction and frustration because we didn't know what we were doing and it really kind of soured me on band and i that commitment that i'd had at one point started to kind of drop off and throughout my ninth grade year, my abilities didn't get worse, but they didn't get better. But everybody else around me had a higher level of commitment, and they, they improved, they got better, and eventually I was, I was not standing out like I had once had. And at one point, my mom pulled me aside before I entered into my sophomore year, and she said, Ben, I'm tired of seeing you with a lack of commitment. Ben, I want to see you invest your whole heart into something and I'm tired of watching what's happening with band. And so this year, you're either going to fulfill uh, this commitment to band, you're going to go all in, in band, or you're going to quit and you're going to choose something else. And she pushed me towards something else. I found basketball, I found something that I was willing to commit to, something I was willing to put my time into, to devote myself to. And that's one of the wisest conversations I've ever been on the receiving end of that my mom shared with me. And it's something that stuck with me to this day because the reality is is that you won't find accomplishments with a simple commitment to showing up. I was, I was still committed to band. I'd show up when I was supposed to. I would do the bare minimum of what I was supposed to, but I didn't achieve. I didn't have accomplishments. I didn't grow in my ability because I really wasn't willing to do anything beyond the minimal commitment. I think there's some people who treat God that way. And there's some people uh, who, who haven't grown in their relationship with Jesus because they haven't ever actually made a commitment that you've maybe flirted with Jesus, that, that he's maybe an acquaintance of yours, that, that when you see him, you know who he is, but you're not really interested in actually starting a relationship. that that, that you just kind of keep him at an arm's length away and you want to be friends with him, you want all the benefits of, of having this acquaintance, but you aren't really interested in actually committing to a relationship with him that would actually cause something to change within your life. And I think I know some other people who claim to be committed to Jesus, but they don't really have any proof of it. That first group, maybe, maybe it's time for you to make a commitment. Maybe it's time for you to actually decide, I've, I have flirted with Jesus long enough. It's time for me to actually start a relationship with him. It's time for me to actually make a commitment to him and put my life into him that I would actually begin evaluating it and starting like what we see in Acts chapter 2 of those who began devoting themselves to what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. For some of you, you need to recognize that you've made a claim and maybe even at some point you've taken a step and you've you've acted on your commitment. We talked about that last week again in the context of faith. Maybe you've started, maybe you've done the bare minimum. But we can ask the same question today that we asked last week. How do you know if you're committed? How do you know if you're actually committed to God? How do you know if you're committed to Jesus? How do you know That you're actually part of kingdom and what it means to stand for that. Because remember we said at the beginning, growth, value, accomplishments, they rarely happen on accident. It takes an intentional commitment and it starts with a mental decision, but then it turns into an action. Your relationship with Jesus will not happen by accident. You won't just accidentally stumble into it. You won't accidentally find yourself deeply invested in a relationship with who he is. You're gonna to have to choose it. You're gonna to have to take action. Paul says in some letters to a young man named Timothy, Paul loved Timothy greatly. Timothy was kind of a guy that he'd mentored and invested a lot of time in. In fact, Paul even sees himself kind of as a father to Timothy. And he writes a couple letters to him in the New Testament where, he, where he's encouraging him and supporting him. And one of them, in First Timothy chapter six, verse 11, Timothy receives this. Paul says this, to, this uh, to him, "But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness and godliness and faith, love, endurance and gentleness." And that sounds like a simple enough verse, uh, but it starts by him saying, "Flee from." But you, man of God, flee from all of this. And what is all of this that he's talking about? It comes in 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 9, is for, for our sake and what we'll read. He says, People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, this section isn't just about money. In fact, Paul's speaking specifically of some false teachers. If you go all the way up to uh, verse 3, it says uh, he's talking about those who teach false doctrine. It's people who found that they can go around different places, they can talk a lot about God, and that they can actually use it for financial gain, and that the gain that they receive is so substantial that they don't really even have to have an interest in God. They can just go on about their way. And profit from this, and and Paul warns them of all the roots of of all kinds of evil. And Paul looks to young Timothy, and, and he says, Timothy, not you. He says, but you, and then he calls him man of God. He says, flee from all this. The reality is that in, in our commitment to God that it's going to require us to flee from some things, that we're going to have to recognize things that are contrary to the nature of God and the character of God, and it's going to cause us to try to leave those things in the behind. That, that part of our commitment to Jesus is also a commitment to growth into becoming more like Jesus, and it means leaving certain things behind. It means sometimes we need to flee, that we don't flirt with or mess with or, or, or dance around, but that we actually just leave it in the dust and move on. Paul says, Timothy, you need to flee from these things. But it's not just about what we flee, it's also about what we pursue. That if we're going to make a commitment to living for God and loving Him, that it means that we have to pursue some things. And so he tells us you need to pursue righteousness and godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. The man of God has to also pursue what is right. When he says righteousness, he's talking about upright conduct that you live in such a way that people recognize it's right, people within your community of followers of Jesus and people outside of that as well, that they would look to your life and recognize that you're doing things right and upstanding. He calls us to godliness. This isn't acting more like God, but it's actually a reverential attitude towards who God is. It's what the false teachers don't have, that they're actually going to use God's name for their own personal gain without any interest of actually investing in a relationship with him at all to begin with and he says not you timothy you continue to keep that attitude of reverence towards god you continue to keep him where he needs to be he calls us to faith, that trust that we talked about last week, and he calls us to love and endurance and gentleness. All of these are things that we ought to pursue, that in making a commitment to Jesus, just like that early church pursued the, the, the teaching of the apostles and they pursued fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer, that we also be pursuing these things in our character, that we recognize that this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Paul finds this so important that he doesn't only have this conversation in 1 Timothy, but that he writes a very similar thing to, to Timothy again in 2 Timothy. This time, this time in chapter 2, verse 22, Paul says, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure He uses the same kind of idea he calls us to flee the things, the evil desires of our youth, the things that pull us away from God, to flee from those things and pursue the good. The list looks very similar. He mentions righteousness, faith, love, but this time he uses the word peace. The very next verse, 23, Paul says to Timothy, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. Now I know that may be an incredibly hard thing to comprehend that there's such a thing as a stupid argument in the world that we currently live in. Obviously, I'm being sarcastic. We understand a lot of what stupid arguments look like and the quarrels that come up from them and the ways in which it just creates conflict and difficulty. And Paul says that the man of God, the woman of God, the child of God pursues peace that we're looking for ways to bring peace into this world, not contribute to the chaos and the arguments, the stupid fights. In verse 22, Paul asks us to join all of those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. That those who have this pure heart, that we're seeking to develop these characteristics. And again, it's missing from so many people who have a face or a, a false A false uh, commitment, a false proclamation of what they're really all about. To be committed to Jesus requires us to pursue. It requires us to move in action. It requires us to mentally start with a commitment, to decide this is what I'm going to be all about. This is what I'm giving my life to. But then it requires an action that follows. It requires us to move in that way. It requires us to, vote, to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship together in a community, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. These are core foundational pieces of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But it also requires us to commit and pursue the good things of character the righteousness, the godliness, love, peace, endurance, faith. It also calls us to flee from what isn't the nature and character of God. How do you know if you're committed? How do you know if you're really actually committed to God? How do you actually know if you're committed to the work that Christ has done for you and in your life? How do you know if you're actually committed to his kingdom, to Christ's kingdom and the furtherance and the advancement of his message in this world? How do you know? How do you know if you're really committed? The answer will be by what you pursue. Look into your life and see what it is that you are pursuing and you will find Either the dust of your savior, or something entirely different. What are you committed to?